He's psyched up. That's it. He's had his Zinfandali's good to go, man. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Yeah. Welcome back to the Purple Womb, a podcast where four British blokes talk about RPGs. And this evening, Dave Aldridge of Deeper Centaur has brought us a curious artifact for discussion. <laughs> So I haven't got a particular folk tale, but I have got a bit of a treasure trove. So I've got, and I've, I've brought the artifact so I can show it to you. Um, so this is the Aquarian Guide to Legendary London. And when we talked about going to the bookshelves and finding our folk tales, I remembered, I thought, yeah, I'll do London. I've got this book. Spent some time with this book. Out of a fascination I have with a certain genre. So you guys know I like the B-movies. I also have a hankering for sort of low-grade esoteric literature, theosophy, Gnosticism, New Age literature. And this is a classic of sort of late 80s, early 90s New Age literature. This is the kind of book that you would... I'm going to be really cruel to this book. <laughs> we're, going to, we're just going to laugh at it. But it's the kind of book you'd buy in a gift shop in like Buxton or Glastonbury back in the early 90s. Yeah, there's a particular particular kind of market for this. And okay. I have got shelves and shelves and shelves of this stuff. Um, and it has very little uh, value uh, as information. Yeah, yeah, I would say that this is, this is amateur history. It's esoterica. It's sort of minor league occultism. Um, but even the... the the occultism is sort of um, really sort of downplayed. So some of these chapter headings are really kind of salaciously titled. You think, oh yeah, we'll get we we'll have something there to get our teeth into. <laughs> Sounds a bit like actually... purple worm. Sounds a bit like <laughs> yeah, exactting you expecting something. Um, but they all they all just end up low budget, low grade, not much use. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Speak, speak well, for yourself, Colin. Speak for yourself. Salacious. <laughs> exactly. All right, yeah, fair enough. Exactly. That's why that's why I thought we'd have some fun with this. So there are some little little threads we can pull so i mean those london threads you, you know the secret subterranean world the, the legendary um you know the rivers all of the various temples that share the sites with the big religious sites you guys know about that stuff we can pull on some of those threads if we want but it's more the kind of artifact and the spirit of the artifact this to me is a good resource for your contemporary horror game your contemporary mystery games it's that kind of field this is really sort of everyday occult significance you know this is clean middle class tourist occult significance it's really good fun um the, the other thing i noticed you guys can see that as i <laughs> it shows a bit about a period in my life as i've got this off my shelf actually the bookmarks are little bits of risler packets can you see that that's what i've marked pages oh, that, 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 that's the true risler. mark of the classy book that is you've got risler <laughs> yeah, in it yeah. <laughs> the, the, the classicizing antiquarian in me there um but yeah i just want to give you more of a sense of the book I'll tell you about some of the contributors. I won't mention them by name. So we got one who has researched the subject of ley lines and associated geomantics subjects for nearly 20 years. I mean, these are all the kinds of people that you want to meet in a contemporary Cthulhu game or, or a, you know, or even your horror game around Spook Tree. These are the people who know the truth about it. Um, you've got one who's been a dedicated student of magic 30 years, trained initially in this particular occult school, has written this guide to Kabbalistic symbolism, this guide to the secret tradition in Arthurian legends, this book on the Rose Cross and the Goddess, you name it. Another one, Clay 
Games academic credentials in Celtic studies. This one's been writing about and studying the Grail stories for over 20 years, has written five books on the subject, as well as numerous titles on the Arthurian legends, Esoterica, British Mysteries, books about Gawain, Taliesin, Irish Mysteries, Arthur. What do we got here? Writer and lecturer on ancient and modern mysteries. Artists, of course, there's the link to the arts and crafts movement, that whole sort of um, William Morris type. Um, and, and, and I've just found out, Dave, that Alan, Mo Alan Moore quotes this as one of these books that inspired it from is from hell. Graphic novel. There we go. Oh, nice. Fantastic. Fantastic. I was going to so say the connection I was going to make, I was, I was like, these are the people who were buying it. Michael Moore, definitely. Mm. In fact, Michael Moorcock has written a book about London, as I remember. I think I've got that on my shelf. I can't remember what it is. But um, yeah, that is that is really interesting. And that's exactly the kind of stuff. I mean, this, this has virtually no value for historical information. I mean, it's quite amazing. But it's, but it's exactly that kind of trope. Or this is the kind of thing you can imagine he would have been pouring through when he was preparing Jerusalem. You know, it's that kind kind of that kind of everyday mysticism i don't know if you guys have, have, have delved into jerusalem yet but it's but it is a sort of masterpiece of kind of everyday it's a sort of a clive barker is going for a clive barker kind of thing um, but it, it starts off very much as kind of everyday mysticism but to give you a sense of some of the some of the content and maybe then if you've got wants we'll, we'll dive into some of the content obviously you've got legends of london you've got there's a wonderful chapter which is just a sort of bizarre literary patchwork of poetry about london obviously starting Blake wrote about London Q all kinds of um, sort of new age jumping off from Blake's poetry um, and I can't yeah you know, I can't really make out a thread through that particular chapter William Blake's spiritual fourfold city it's just a pastiche of one quote about London to another quote about London it's sort of um, kaleidoscope then the one I would like to delve into is the chapter on the goddesses of London because this chapter includes as you read through it some meditations that you can do and there are some meditations you can you can deliberately do do to to get in touch with London's uh, resident goddesses and I, I think it might be fun if we dive into that obviously you've got a little bit on Troy Brutus or Bruta coming out of Troy of course and founding London you've got a chapter on London's ley line and there's some there's some fun there about the presentation of the information that we could have a look at you've got something on Templar London Merlin's time in London wise women of London uh, witchcraft and magic in London that's quite good fun customs of London then you've got a gazetteer I must admit I meant even to check this because the thing I realised when I saw that word gazetteer is that I've never encountered the word gazetteer outside of RPG literature. Um, I've only ever encountered it. So I was I was surprised to see that there's a gazetteer as sacred sites. It is what it says. It is a list. It just takes you through um, what, what they consider to be the key spiritual mythological sites in London. Do you know, the other place where I think I've seen a gazetteer used, don't that normally crop up if you pick up an atlas? The history in here is questionable uh then you've got a little bit yeah what else have we got britannia and st paul's parliament hill and the druids oh yeah which is incidentally just a collection of speeches that were given by the leader of one particular group of druids at a few gatherings over a couple of years and they've just been kindly gathered for us you know a few, few sort of 70s or 80s uh, druid speeches um but one of the ones yeah one of the ones i think i'll, I'll show you um so i've always been fascinated by uh ley lines uh, aside from else i've been fascinated by how this sort of bizarre speculation about ley lines manages to lodge in the popular consciousness um i mean the various bits of literature that i've looked at that purport to to to, to map these lines of spiritual energy are just 
<laughs> you know, you could draw lines through anything. <laughs> you, know, you, could, you, could, you could move a ruler around on a landscape and find line after line after line. So some of that speculation I find really good fun. And the, the, the final uh, paragraph, the section on ley lines. So, oh no, so there's a, there's a bit I want to share with you first. So firstly, we've got a little diagram. We've got a diagram. We've got one of William Stukeley's 18th century drawings of, of the greatest Stonehenge cursus when it was more visible on the ground than it is today, i.e. when he made it up in this picture <laughs> of course you know I don't, I don't think it's been eroded that much I'm, I'm, I'm open to being corrected but I think that that wonderfully sort of um yeah credulous <laughs> when it was clearly more visible than it is today because it ain't there we've, we've had a um, we've had a message in the um twitch chat from evil jeff who says weren't there ley lines in the novel jonathan strange and mr norrell now it's yep, it's been it's been a few years I since read I've read it. it. Yes, I it was. Yeah, I haven't read it. So so to me, I mean the big the big RPG for ley lines. I couldn't remember. I meant to check in Romance of the Perilous Land whether he did did anything with ley lines. I can't remember. Mm. But of course, Rifts Palladium did it. Beyond the Supernatural was all about ley lines, and then Rifts. The core concept of Rifts is that after this great world-ending conflagration, there was this spilling out of magical energy, which meant all the ley lines burst into new life, and and their next points are where the rifts open. so that was a big feature of rifts there was a there, there was a, a classic white dwarf article talking about ley lines and standing okay. stones and stone uh, and hinges and things uh for warhammer fantasy I, I know, was it for warhammer fantasy it might have been just a little bit more generic than that it was quite an early one but and that, um i remember that that was a great the little... old uh, the old dresden files that had the ley lines that's where Ooh, the sort of the, yeah. the magical force came out wasn't it the ley lines Yes, the final paragraph of the chapter, I think, is quite telling. But they've just mentioned how one particular person was enjoying the view and saying it's a great shame if somebody put a building there. And then, of course, he's followed the route and he's seen that that's exactly what they've done. Oh, London. You know, they keep building stuff. They put a building there. And he says, but that is the way with London and its lives, this writer. Linear patterns are forever being submerged by the great city's ceaseless urban development. Nevertheless, the lineaments of old magical landscapes still dwell beneath the modern face of London if one is prepared to look for them. <laughs> Just like that kind of acknowledgement that you can you can you can sketch a line. I mean he, he, he traces the great lines that go through the strand. I'll tell you what, I, I know he says about the development of London and, and these lines getting blocked, but there are some quite impressive vistas that are maintained. That I think there's one that goes from like Richmond Park and it go, it goes miles. And if you stand it, it it's I believe it's like a, a vista that's protected and I think there's a few of them ah. I don't know if it I forget whether it goes through to Hampton Court or there's some sort of you know there, there, there are these particular vistas that are maintained and you, you can't block them and that's my understanding of it and some of them are pretty impressive you know on a clear day you can see far I was going to see some major landmarks. I was going to say in the um, in, in the Twitch chat, Evil Jeff's kindly shared us a couple of links. The first one being a, a book by Alfred Watkins called "The Old Straight Track: Its Mounds, Beacons, Moats, Sites, and Markstones." And apparently, it was first published in 1925. And a 
according to this description it remains the most important source for the study of ancient tracks or lays that crisscross the British Isles. Well stay tuned folks because there may be somebody talking about that in a, another hey, episode. Great, great. Of, co- that of course all you need all you need to do to become the most important source is be the one that everybody cites. Of course if you know if if, if people are still referring to it and talking about it then it will remain the usage most usage yeah. Dave isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well it's um it's what it's what does Bruno Latour call it? I think it's to do with valence. You know, okay. you can push when you cite a source, you can push it. Latour says you can push it further upstream or downstream. Yeah. So actually, one of the things you're doing whenever you're citing a source is you are, um, you, you know, you're either marking it as a more rigorous and reliable source, or you're distancing yourself from it and casting yeah, aspersions sort of on it. Up- upselling it, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that happens all the time in RPGs, doesn't it? You see that with systems. Yeah. yeah. And, and I was going to say, Dave, writers, I'll, designers. I love right. To give me the details of this book because given that I'm running a um, I'm running a game set in a fantasy version of London, I think some of that stuff could be quite useful for me for mm. my game. Exactly, it's a joy because you don't you know you're not you're not reading it to discover, are you? You're reading it for. Yeah. Um, you know, for, for, for moments, you know, for those moments. Yeah, yeah little quirky yeah. I mean, nuggets. I think that's and the advantage fact, all... of um, things like this. Obviously, we, we know that, as you said, the history is questionable in it. You're not going to use it as a factual tome. But if you're looking at it for inspiration for an RPG, then potentially anything or nothing in that book can be as true as you want it to be in your campaign setting. And, and and that's it. And 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 where these chapters always sort of promise to be going, and they never do really. Um, you can of course take your campaign. I mean, that's the thing with the Templars. With the Templars, you want there to be a conspiracy. You want the contemporary Masons to be guarding <laughs> various kinds of uh, earth-shattering secrets about the history of Christianity. But there, there was no conspiracy. There was just hard history that people can't be bothered to read. <laughs> but, hey man, but, you know, I, I just want to see that old Grail Knight out of Indiana Jones and the last crusade that's what i want to say <laughs> what does it say in there about the templars dave because you mentioned that they were in there didn't you and, yeah, and, so all, again, and also your also your goddesses of london you i do to... want to talk to you about the goddesses but i mean um so uh, so so it, i mean it, 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 this isn't too bad of course because you know you've you've got your temple church you've got your freemasons um and this is all this is all quite fun uh, so you get reference to uh the suppression of the templars the templars were suppressed everywhere but there are still the monuments so they tell us about the templar monuments um yeah this is this is quite balanced you know so the templars caught people's imagination so you can see that you can see mentions of them all over london um what else does it tell us you know it's a bit it's open whether or not they did find the physical remain of the sacred relics you know, whether or not they did actually find of course the ark of the covenant and so on um they say the templars are believed to have been responsible for bringing back to europe certain information and techniques in architecture uh they suggest again this is where it gets a bit sketchy that what they might have brought might have been islamic sacred ge- geometry yeah and so actually there's quite a lot of architectural commentary on the various templar sites there's no um da vinci code stuff here you, you're not getting <laughs> you're not getting that um yeah you, we get an extended story of the suppression of the templars and how that played out in, in london yeah let's do the god let's do the goddesses the goddesses are fun um so i'm a bit nervous about this chapter i'm not going to read to you everything about the goddesses because i think well it's 30 years old the book's 30 years old 
um, and some of the uh, some of the descriptions of the goddesses are, are of their time, but I can pick out some of them that are quite good fun. It's so, interesting. I've never ever heard of the goddesses of London. This is a this will be a well. They're they're all important. You know, they're oh, all the they? goddesses which will have come through. Yeah. So they're not the goddesses of London at all. <laughs> no, they're, they're just they're, they're your classic. They're just goddesses, and the books about London. So. Where where you'll find them yeah um but there's there's some quite nice art in here so just for just for worms and and twitch people yeah so for example you've got the goddess ellen at st pancras that's rather nice that sums up the book that nice sort of new age okay yeah. there there she is looking over st pancras uh but let's yes we got the meditation so ellen um is associated with the original foundlings hospital as a protectress of the orphans Bailey says that Ellen is London's most important deity. I don't know anything about Bailey's The Lost Language of London. That's one to follow up. So uh, I'm, I'm not giving any of this any particular positive charge. Um, but apparently Ellen is worshipped in Britain from Paleolithic time. Oh, GM Shadow just said, it's Colin in the book because he's a legend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's the speaker. Uh, <laughs> you checks in the post. But here we go. So, and so I am also not from London. So of course I'm in the book <laughs> yeah. I don't know what kind of image of myself I'm creating on Worm now because I was I was talking about my uh, my occult experiences in the call-in show and now I'm doing now we're doing a new age meditation on the goddess Ellen here we go but if you want to you can do it with us at home so Ellen Ellen could be I love that this is in this book <laughs> this follows the chapter it does it follows the chapter on William Blake's spiritual fourfold city um, which is just this strange pastiche of, of sort of literary criticism that's not uh, and here we've got Ellen can be visualised in her fertile mother aspect as a leaf clad pregnant woman standing on one of Lan London's sacred hills a tree behind her and a greyhound at her feet imagine I like that she's at the dog imagine shining lines radi radiating out from her creating a vast eight-spoke wheel that starts to turn, once again energising the ancient concept of the sacred harmonic divisions of time and space. See Ellen as the hub, uh, mediating lunar, solar and stellar forces through the meridians of London to which she is the genius lobe. It's just possible that by performing this exercise, you are on one level at least helping to halt further desecration of our metropolis. Sorry, I was just thrown there by Pete having put in the chat. This is where Dave gets his ideas for RPGs. Yes, all of my ideas Ideas, <laughs> came from uh, pretty much the late 90s where I was reading all of this stuff and marking the pages with Rizla <laughs> yeah so I do I mean that is a thing I do so one thing I enjoy in my games I do like visionary sequences I do like dream, dream sequences I do like hallucinatory sequences I do like starting players on that track and then letting them contribute to that I do like trying to imply sort of imply inner transformation by including phantasmagoria you know il illusionary things things out of the corner of the eye um so yeah there is there is quite a lot of that in my games i do i do try and get interior in my games i do enjoy describing at great length things which only one player can see or which the, the, the players aren't sure are actually there so yeah there is some do i do enjoy those those sort of meditative visionary systems. yeah I, I i do i like i like i like to have some of them dreams and visions and uh, i was just trying to wrap my brain i did it recently something happened and there was this whole you know like vision they somebody somebody failed a, a saving throw and they were drawn into something you know and all this was going on and they were the only one that could see it 
Titan. Yeah, definitely. Because it allows you to kind of break the laws of your setting. You you, you, you can do something a little bit different if you do it as a as an imaginary, illusory dream sequence. Or Definitely, man. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you, Connor. I mean, it allows you to sort of flex the sort of established rules of your campaign setting. But because it's a, a dream or a prophecy, it does it without sort of actually damaging your campaign when you know it's not the normal sort of flow of things so it, it doesn't affect like the normal course of play i, mean, I was going to say actually dave you're mentioning genius loci early on um i don't know if anyone's read the the rivers of london series by ben aronovich i can never say his last name properly um they're all sort of set in london and they have this eye it's it's a bit sort of dresden finely sort of like a cult uh sort of wizards sort of style but like working for the police force and um they have like the the river goddesses of london in that and they're sort of genius loci like their their power relates to sort of how well the the river is known and how it's used so there's some of the underground rivers that don't really exist anymore their goddesses are quite minor whereas like the goddess of like the thames is like sort of ultimately powerful because that river sees a lot of use it's very prominent so i really do like that idea of like genius locating you know, like spirits of particular places yeah i actually think so i liked um new world of darkness so i'm going to admit it now so john, john you'll have some associations with new world of darkness, but it's I really fine like i like i like new world of darkness I, one. I really like the core i didn't like the uh the reboots of the various settings i didn't like the reboot of Vampire. i certainly didn't like that we talked about this before i didn't like the reboot of mage uh werewolf was all right um but what they did really well, I think, was they 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 had the core book, of course, was setting free, which was I, th I think they that, that was the first time they'd done that was with New World of Darkness. But yeah. they, the core book was setting free, and then there was some there was some expansions from that. So they came with the black spine, um, and those of all the stuff from the New World of Darkness I would get rid of. Those black spines ones were amazing. Were amazing. So they had um, uh, so they had a book of spirits, um, and I think they did spirits really well and I, I remember just being fascinated by their depictions of spirits so again it's contemporary it's urban so you can have a spirit of the rubbish dump or a spirit of whatever and you, you know then they, they, can they also did like serial um, killers they also did an urban legends book which was really interesting right. as well which yeah. i quite like yeah, I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm with you i and a ghost stories one which i think had a spooky tree actually yeah that's that's pretty cool they um i, I agree with you i mean i I quite like some of the New World of Darkness sort of supernatural lines, particularly like the, the new Changeling they did, because um, I think it had more of a strong sort of horror element. It was less whimsical and sort of darker. But um, I, I've got to admit, yeah, I really do prefer the sort of like the mortal books they did mm. and the books mm. that were less sort of like World of darkness in flavour, but they're like, oh, you're playing normal people, but here's like different sort of ways you can bleed sort of minor supernatural and sort of folklore style elements into your game i think that was a really great thing and unfortunately i don't know if it's just because they've like covered everything they wanted to they don't seem to have done a lot of those books recently but i haven't really seen a great deal of like new world of darkness stuff coming out now so I see, it's all what's his name? It's all Onyx Path now, isn't it? I think that's done yeah, with now. Isn't yeah. It, words? yeah, I mean, um, they seem to be focusing on like sort of like Vampire Fifth Edition and stuff like that now. So yeah, yeah, but certainly that you. So what you were saying about spirits, I just think they had a really nice, you know, a really nice metaphysics. I suppose they had a really nice metaphysics of spirits. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, that was really good, and they were me mechanically satisfied, and they would all be unique. Every spirit would be. Yeah, I mean, the, the system fight. wasn't overly complex, but it did what it needed to, and they had a lot of details where they talked about how. Um, if a spirit, because ghosts and spirits worked pretty much similarly, 
um, they had this nice system where in order to sort of influence a place a spirit had to sort of be working on that place for a certain amount of time and as their sort of influence on that location increased they could do more things so when you get like high levels of influence they can they can sort of warp space and stuff like that so you've got the the traditional like haunted house you go into it you run down a corridor and it seems to go on forever and stuff like that but it explained why you um you might sort of see that thing where you've got like a house that's got like a few little legends about it or you know it's haunted something unfortunate happened there and the more people talk about it the more notorious it becomes the more reputation it gains the more influence the spirit gets over that place and it becomes like this sort of cycle where the legends feed the spirit becoming more powerful which feeds more legends and it just sort of keeps going round and round until the spirit eventually has almost complete control over that area which i, I liked because it sort of worked with how legends sort of tend to accumulate so, so, Colin, are you the only one of us that doesn't own this book now, are you? Have you guys bought it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, John has bought no. it. No. <laughs> oh, man, you guys. You better get in I ain't buying that people, book. Once people listen to this episode. Yeah. I mean, I, Colin's like, I'm buying that book. I'm a real fake Londoner. <laughs> I suspect I wouldn't have spent more than 20p on this book, I don't think, when I bought it. Maybe 50p at most at a boot sale. I think, a... you know, because I'm, I'm so new age... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would have to. The book would have to come to me, man. I would. I would have to. And, it, and, it would have and to strange. come into my possession, like my kayak. And, and another one that comes <laughs> up. This another one that comes up. If you like this one, another one that comes up is Albion: A Guide to Legendary Britain, so that, by Jennifer Westwood. And apparently, that's along the similar lines. So. Yeah, I, I don't have to admit. Like I said, I've mainly bought it because I'm running a game set in like a mythic version of London. So I'm like, I, I can take all this late line chisel and stuff like that and just like port yeah. it straight into it's, my campaign. Setting. It's for the fun of the genre. It's a yeah. genre. It's the same reason I've got on my shelf. I've got all my Bulwer Lytton novels. I've got my Helen of Blavatsky. Well, it's for it, the for the genre. It's been well established, Dave, that you are an RPG influencer. So you know, we'll, <laughs> you guys, yeah. you guys just fa- failed your wheel save. Well, well, we're all gonna, we're all we gonna were... actually we're all gonna dig out our new world of darkness and we're gonna play spiritual london oh yeah it's gonna take me a lot to dig it out it's gonna happen yeah exactly it's but, gonna uh, happen no, as i say, get mine off the shelf tonight. Well, we, I, I like to think dave's sort of influencing of rpgs works very similar to um spirits in new world of darkness you know he drops these things in there we also go oh that sounds interesting and we get the book and we talk about it which leads on to more books which we then buy and talk about and leads on to more books and round and round we go where we stop nobody knows it's all his occult they were always a thing he's cast his occult doings on you (laughs) gm shadows asked in the um twitch chat whether you're on commission for any of these books dave (laughs) no i i mean i have a look, John. It's Mud Harper Publications we bought it from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, my, my copy did have like a fluorescent green cover. I'm not sure what's going on. <laughs> this definitely didn't get more than one print run. Come on. You'll know if, you'll know if Aldridge has got anything to do with it because there'll be a chapter on ninjas in there. <laughs> oh, you did not worth paying for The secret ninjas of London. Tell you what, mate. If I, bought, if I bought a book about the legends of London and I turned to a chapter and it was about ninjas, I would not be disappointed no. <laughs> yes. oh, i was just thinking it's a good idea man that's it that's that's my next game <laughs> Let's do well there's it. that super there's that super famous dojo that was where i think judo came to london first the first sort of judo dojo and it's off of the road that runs parallel to the king's road and i can't think what the name of the road is now 
But yeah, man, it's been a club there for a long time. And um, the person who I always talk about is Ray Mears because he cites judo as being a major influence on him. And his sensei was a really good friend and, and he learned major life lessons and everything else. But if you was having ninjas, they would have had a hand in the establishment of this place, I reckon. You know, so on the front, it's a judo school. That's the front. But but down in the basement, they're all really doing ninjutsu. It's not, <laughs> it's not judo at all. <laughs> all, all, all I'm saying, guys, if any of like my my vampire fifth edition players that like, I'm running a game for on Friday are watching, and any like stuff about ley lines in London comes up in it, you know it to blame. It's Dave, Dave's fault. <laughs> Brilliant. So that's it for this episode of the Purple Worm Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you want to get in touch with us, you can leave us a voicemail message using Anchor, or you can send us an email. The address is purplewormpodcast at gmail.com. Until we see you next time, take care, stay safe, keep gaming, and watch out for those purple worms.